Welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we true the verse of Genesis 3.16, and we discover that God didn't curse Eve or Adam or limit woman in any way. This is a special episode, and my guest is Natalie Hoffman of the Flying Free Podcast, and the book, Is It Me? Natalie invited me to join her in conversation on her podcast number 135 of the Flying Free Podcast. On her website post for our episode, she described the heart of our conversation on God's 11 Hebrew words to the woman in Genesis 3.16 in this way. And I'm going to just read out word for word several of the paragraphs that she wrote. So this, these are Natalie's words. It took 11 words to change the world. 11 words misinterpreted. 11 words misunderstood. 11 words manipulated. A single sentence from the mouth of God to the first woman, Eve, a pronouncement, a prediction, a curse, or was it? Do you know these words? Prepare yourself because you're about to learn their true meaning. It might blow your mind and it will change the world again. Those are Natalie's words. And then she added this, why this episode is a must listen. The what? Bruce's wife, Dr. Joy Fleming, spent seven years researching her doctoral dissertation on 11 words. He followed with his own research on correlating New Testament verses. The why. How your understanding of those 11 words affects your view of women, men, God, and your entire existence. The are you kidding me? A clear, precise explanation of those 11 words. You may scream. You may dance. You may fist pump several times. You may run around the block screaming incoherently. It's that good. Warning. Bring an extra pair of socks because this episode is going to blow them clean off. <laughs> well, you get an idea of the enthusiasm of Natalie and you hear her voice already. That was such a fun time together that I've invited Natalie to join us on the Eden podcast to look again at God's word and to get her insights on these um, insights from our study. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to dig in. I, I, I'm fascinated. I've never done anything like this before. So this will be interesting. Okay. Well, I've asked Natalie to give us the highlights of her life today and also what her ministry involves. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, but we're going to dig into our Bible study. Um, Natalie, I replayed the discussion that you had on your podcast as a bonus episode for season five for us here on the Eden podcast. And when I posted it on my website, I described it as how does Satan war against women and who did God confirm as Satan's adversary? And people kind of they kind of wondered if, if I couldn't give them some background to that. And so what I've done is I put together what I call the Eden Bible study. And it takes us from the start of Genesis chapter three with Satan's attack at the tree up into line one of Genesis 3.16. So what I'd like to do is to read to you from the Bible study word for word, and then let's interact. Look, we're sitting here at, at a coffee table and we're we're sipping on our cider and we're we're just discussing the word of God. So we each let's say we each have our Bibles open and we're just looking at these verses. So here's the beginning of the Eden Bible study. Back in the beginning, Satan attacked the woman and the man. He succeeded in getting them to eat the forbidden fruit. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. When God asked the man what he had done, the man failed to point out the role of the serpent tempter who had lied to them and twisted God's word. Instead, the man turned on God and on the woman and blamed them for his rebellion. 
Genesis 3.12. When God asked the woman what she had done, the woman confessed her disobedience and unmasked the serpent tempter. She correctly told God that the serpent tempter had deceived her and then she had eaten. Any comments on these first 13 verses in chapter three? Um, just that I had never looked at it this, that way before. I mean, I think you were one, you were the first person who helped me to see, wow, that, and it's so accurate. And not only that, not only is, I think your interpretation of this accurate, but you see it happening again and it just repeats itself. It's like a pattern that repeats itself all throughout history in interactions between men and women. It's fascinating. Immediately, God acted on the woman's words and cursed the serpent, Genesis 3:14. Next, God confirmed that the woman would be Satan's combatant. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and pronounced to Satan that the woman's announced to Satan that the woman's offspring would crush his head. This is called the protevangelium. It's a Latin word, which means the first announcement of the good news. This is part one of the protevangelium. Uh, I was interviewing a friend of mine uh, from Michigan, Dr. Bill Rudd, and he said, you know, I think this has been flipped on its head, and most people think that the, the man is supposed to be Satan's combatant. He's supposed to be the warrior. And it was a new insight, even though he said, I've read it all the time and preached it many times, but I always thought the woman was the temptress and the man was the combatant. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see that here actually in reality it's it's interesting because we look at we read the bible through the grid of whatever we've been brainwashed with yeah that's right so we we think we know what the passage says before we look at the passage exactly and then we make it say what we thought it said exactly yep i was reading uh an online uh, app the other day uh, with various Bible passages, very, various translations of the Bible. And then I noticed that they had extra tools and they had a whole section on commentaries. And I flipped through what were the commentaries and there was one I'd never seen before. It was a one volume commentary. Uh, and I flipped at Genesis chapter three and I was horrified to see that it talked about three consecutive curses made on the serpent, on the woman and on the man. But as we talk about with the on, on the True 316 project, that's not what happened in Genesis mm -hmm. chapter 3. Let's go back to the Eden Bible study. In 316, God turned back to the woman and promised her conception. Haron is the Hebrew word number four in line one of 316 that is translated conception or pregnancy. God told her she would still fulfill the blessing God gave the humans on day six. The humans would be fruitful and multiply. And most specifically, the woman would bear the seed or offspring who would defeat Satan. This is the Protevangelium part two. God gave to her the good news of the promised champion. In line one of 316, God also told her that she would experience difficulty along with the man in doing field work. That would be because God would curse the ground because of the man. As a result, both would experience sorrowful toil. Itzabon is Hebrew word three in line one of 316 for sorrowful toil. Here are God's words to the woman in line one of Genesis 316 as translated into English, according to the King James version of 1611. And I'm gonna stress words three and four as they translate it into English. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow 
and thy conception. Now, it's really important to see that they've got obviously two words, words three and four, sorrow, conception, joined by the word and. They translated those words correctly. By the way, neither sorrow or conception has anything to do with the experience of childbirth at the end of a pregnancy. Sorrow or sorrowful toil is what both the man and woman will experience doing field work with their hands on the cursed ground. This is not childbirth. Conception, word four, or pregnancy, happens in the nine months before childbirth. This is not childbirth. Well, However, mo modern language versions of the Bible have changed how Hebrew words three and four were correctly translated, and they've introduced an incorrect, unjustified, and very misleading single new idea. Pick up your Bible, take a look at it, you're going to see something different. They have erased Hebrew word three, sorrowful toil, in the connection with the man. And 317, they've erased the obvious connection of Hebrew word number four, conception, with God's promise of the woman's offspring who will crush Satan's head. And they've replaced the two Hebrew words with a new single idea that's not part of the original text. And they put this idea on top of it. They say, God will multiply her, here's the idea, pain in childbirth. Mm. And this is not correct. Oh, can I just jump in here and just say something? Because I had nine children, nine, nine babies. And I remember I, I ran in circles where uh, it was encouraged to have as many children as you could, which is fine. But <clears throat> they, there was also this teaching that you could not have any medication when you were experiencing childbirth. You could not have any interventions because God's plan was that you would be in pain and that this was part of entering into the pain that Christ experienced when he was on earth. And this was our duty as godly Christian women to be in this pain. And I, I totally bought into that hook, line and sinker until, uh, I won't go into details, but, uh, my fourth pregnancy, there was a lot of complications in that, in that delivery. And I had to have an epidural for it. So it was my very first time. And I felt guilty and shame and just, riddled with anxiety. I thought maybe my baby would die because I took, you know, an epidural and to make a long story short, I ended up having epidurals for all the rest of them. And it was amazing. I had amazing childbirth experiences with all the rest of them. And my doctor was like, so happy that I had finally, you know, embraced just having some pain relief so that I could not be so stressed out during my deliveries. But I'm so excited to see that this is just, that it was all based on a lie. I, yeah. That just blows my mind. Yeah. So you look at the word, I will multiply thy sorrow. That, that's an anticipation of what's going to happen when God curses the ground because of the man. He tells the man, you're going to have this sorrowful toil or your toil. So that's got nothing to do with childbirth. It's both of them. The parents of Noah in Genesis 5, they talk about, oh, this, this new child of ours, hopefully this one will, will you know, deliver us from the, the, the sorrowful toil we'll have working in the ground because of the curse on it. That's got, that's got nothing to do with it. And then again, word four, I will greatly multiply your conception. Well, we don't even feel conception. Mm -hmm. or, or the nine months of the pregnancy, that may be what the word heron means. But it doesn't mean the last moments, the actual delivery. That's not at all what the Hebrew word says. So what they did is they take it and they call it, they, there's a thing called a hendiatus in the Hebrew language and others, where you can take two things and put them together to mean one. 
but there are usually signs, grammatical symbols, you know, there's things that tip you off that, oh, these are supposed to be combined. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are not present in this verse. Mm -hmm. And they're not necessary in this verse. And Joy showed how we've got to see these two words clearly, because the word three hooks down to verse 17. And word four hooks back to verse 15. So we, we've got to keep them clear. And yet they paste this new idea. Now, where, where do they get this idea of pain and childbirth, Natalie? I, I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. I think it goes back to the verse 15 where God says, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm going to put enmity between the two of you. I'm going to confirm the combat between the two of you. And ever since the tree... Satan has been attacking all of us, but he's specifically been attacking the woman. And I think the attack's still going on and he's attacking her today, you, us, through the mistranslation of this key verse. Mm, yeah. Well, it certainly brings a lot of shame and um, fear into the lives of women. And, and also the, the idea that it's the idea that we have to somehow make that, that it's our response. It puts a lot of responsibility on us to, I think there's just so much shame. I guess I just, I think it just boils down to shame. There's so much shame that, that the, that the devil puts on women and it keeps women hiding in fear and not able to actually grow and become the people that God intended us to be that, you I mean, you were talking at the beginning that we were actually meant to be warriors. We were actually meant to be ones that, that were in battle. Yeah. We can't go into battle if we're hiding because we're, we're, because we're being told that we're terrible and we deserve pain and we deserve this, that, and the other thing. So um, this new idea that they've pasted on here only in the last couple hundred years, if even if that far back, this idea of pain and childbirth leads people to think that God cursed. The yeah. Woman. Yeah. But when we true the verse, we discover that God didn't curse Eve or Adam or limit woman in any way. In Africa, Joy and I found that people take this mistranslation when they read their versions of the Bible. And there's wonderful Bible translation societies that keep churning out new languages every year and they keep translating it incorrectly at this point and so then the dear people pick up their bibles and they reason this way if so they think she was cursed with pain and childbirth so if god cursed her then she must have deserved a curse mm. and then they reason further that the bible must be teaching that woman was guilty or flawed from the beginning mm -hmm. therefore they reason now this is gets where it gets very serious they reason that one uh, we better limit a woman's destructive nature in the home Mm, wow. And two, we must restrict a woman's destructive nature from harming the church. Yes. And women are viewed as enemies. Yes. For home life and church life because they think that she was cursed and deserved it. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So now we get to the New Testament passages and translators. There are a lot of decisions you have to make. The exact same Greek words from the New Testament don't exist in the way they are in English or French or Lingala or those are languages I know. They don't, they don't exist the same. So you have to make a word choice. You have to, how do you explain the word snow 
to a culture that has no snow. You have to have to come up with other words or a lamb if they've got no lambs. You know, so you have to come up with word choices. And in the New Testament passages related to women and men, like Ephesians 5 and 6, 1 Timothy 2 and 3, 1 Corinthians 11 and 14, 1 Peter 3, they have this prejudice thinking that basically God cursed the woman. And then they try to put that into the making an understanding of what God's doing in these other passages in the New Testament, and they come out wrong. Mm -hmm. So this twisting of the truth and reversal of facts is in line with Satan's aims as he continues to work against us all, but he's especially combating women. Yep. I so see that. what's the true 316 message? The true message of Genesis chapters two and three, and especially of Genesis 316, is that God didn't curse Eve or Adam or limit woman in any way. Okay, that's the end of the two-page <laughs> The Eden Bible Study. I'm and excited about this Bible study. When is it going to be published? Uh, we're going to re release it uh, the day you are on our podcast. So that's, oh, that's today. So listeners, you're hearing this today and you can go ahead and get it. I'd like you to just simply send me an email, bruce at true316.com, tru316.com, and I'll send you a copy. Uh, so, so true without an E. Yep. TRU316. Okay. True316.com. Okay. So, so Natalie, you've, you've been battling with Satan throughout your Christian life. And uh, you've had some harrowing experiences and lots of victories too along the way. I, I wanted to have you on our podcast to explain more about what goes wrong if we get the passages wrong. How does it ruin our Christian life? How does it damage our home life? How does it damage our church life? There, oh, there's so many there's so much fallout. I mean, if you start with the premise that women are fundamentally wrong and sinful, and there's something fundamentally wrong with them, then of course, there's going to be prejudice against them. There's going to be misogyny. That's just, that's just, if you look at, even if you look at in throughout history at different people groups, um, you know, indigenous groups, when, when the white people came over and they just, they looked at other people that weren't like them and said, there must be something wrong with them. So we can, so that, and, and they even use the Bible too, to justify their beliefs that we are a better race. And then they would, that thinking, they would use that to justify their mistreatment and abuse of other people, of other human beings. And this is happening with, with women as well, all throughout history, where um, I just read this book. In fact, um, there's, it'll probably, it'll be on my podcast by the time your podcast is released. The author, I interviewed the author, the book is called The Woman They Could Not Silence. And it was a story of Elizabeth Payton, no, Elizabeth Oh gosh, I'm going to get her last name wrong. I can't remember. It's Elizabeth. And she lived in the 1900s and she was a godly Christian woman with five children or maybe it was six. And her husband was a pastor, but he was very abusive, spiritually abusive, emotionally abusive. And he did not like it that she was doing her own Bible study and learning her own things and coming and, and having ideas about God, really, really growing in her relationship with God and her insight into 
into uh, different theological ideas. Mm -hmm. And he decided that she, because she didn't believe him, because he was the pastor plus her husband, she therefore must be insane. And so he had her committed to an oh. insane asylum oh. where she spent several years experiencing and watching so many, so much abuse of women. Most of the women, most of the people in the insane asylums were women. And most of them were there, not because they were insane. They were there because their husbands put them there you didn't, they didn't need any other reason to put women in insane asylums back then. Hmm. Um, she changed that. The whole story is uh, this, uh, the story of how she got out and ended up making changes in the law and um, raised money and got the word out, raised awareness and ended up making all these changes. So she's a pivotal character in the history of women's rights, but nobody really talks about her, which is why this woman, this author decided to talk about her but so but it's not just in the 1900s it's not just in the 1800s or the 1400s women have been treated like this since the beginning of time because of these kinds of beliefs and i just think now how we're seeing it now in our modern you know in the 21st century is we're seeing what i'm seeing and what i've experienced is even in the church women are viewed as less than and i know they pay lip service churches and religious leaders will pay lip service to oh well women we just want to respect them and honor them and cherish them and they play this wonderful role in our lives they pay lip service to it but underneath all of that is this exactly what you're talking about in this bible study is this belief that women are kind of naughty you know that deep down inside we have this naughty bent. We either want to tempt tempt men with our bodies, or we want to lie and deceive people kind of like Eve did, you know, she deceived and she tricked Adam into eating or whatever. I mean, you hear rhetoric like that. Sure. So, yeah. and how you're seeing it play out then in practicality is that if a woman does come forward and say, Hey, I I'm being mistreated in my home and I don't know what to do about it the bias is always, well, I shouldn't say always, but most of the time what we're seeing in really conservative churches where they buy into this idea about Adam being the temptress or whatever, they will have a bias against her and they'll have a bias towards the man. They'll automate, they'll just assume, make assumptions that, well, there must be something, you know, maybe she's like a dripping faucet or, you know, they always, they have these Bible verses in their minds, you know, about women that are all negative. Maybe she's just not being submissive. Maybe she's just not giving him enough sex the way the Bible says you're supposed to please each other. Maybe, you know, there must be something wrong with her. They make that assumption rather than saying, rather than just believing her and going, there must be something wrong or she wouldn't be coming to us because yes. women in healthy marriages don't go asking their pastors for help. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in a healthy marriage now. I'm not gonna, I, have, I would never dream or have any, it would never cross my mind. I should go ask my pastor for some help for my marriage. I don't have any problems in my marriage married to a, a man who honors and respects me and treats me like an equal. And we're partners through life. Mm -hmm. People only have a problem if they're being mistreated, um, marginalized, maligned in some way, controlled, um, having things withheld from them 
that kind of thing. That those are the people that are really hurting and needing help. And I think that um, the churches are really doing them a disservice because here, here's why women associate the church and church leadership with God. So what they're really doing is when they come to a church leadership and say, help me, I'm being hurt They're What they're doing is they're going to God and they've been going to God, but they feel like this is the next step. So I, now I need to go to the people that are representing God and surely they will help me. Surely they will believe me and see my plight and want to help to rescue me. And then they don't, they actually end up re-abusing her. And I, I, I've talked to so many women who are just struggling in their relationship with God because they don't understand they, they, because they've associated God with these people, then they think that God must be abusive. And you know what I tell them? I tell them the God that these people are worshiping is abusive. That's why they're reflecting that kind of God in their lives, because we become what we worship. And so the God that you are worshiping is not an abuser just because their God is an abuser. doesn't mean that your God is an abuser. And that's why I love this Bible study and what you do, because you're trying to turn that narrative around about God. He is not, you may have an abuse. You may be living with an abusive husband. You may have an abusive church. Um, but, but God is not like them. God is completely different. And his word is, does not teach those things. True 316 Foundation is the home of the Eden Podcast. Join us for $3.16 a month or more. Let's chew the verses on the key passages on women and men. Go to true316.com slash partner. True 316 is strengthening and encouraging many, and we're getting stories every day of lives changed through our ministry. We're the home of the Eden Podcast, and we're getting the word out that God didn't curse Eve or Adam or limit woman in any way. Our volunteer help is wonderful, and we grow stronger with each new true partner who gives to the True 316 Foundation so that we can cover the costs to do the technical work of the Eden Podcast, to coordinate our true school workshops like the two-week Eden Workshop on Genesis 2 and 3, and to make the True 316 Foundation function in its outreach to scholars and students around the world. You can give now with a one-time gift. And better still, you can join now and become a monthly donor. We call our monthly donors our true partners. Please join now by going to true316.com slash partner.